Welcome back to Power Retail Power Talks. Join me in bite-sized discussions with industry leaders and professionals as they share their exclusive insights into the dynamic world of e-commerce. This episode is part of a special sustainability-focused mini-series. I'm your host, Rosalie, and for this episode, I'm sitting down with Anna Forster, Chief Sustainability Strategist at The Purpose Agents. A lot of people in the retail industry know her because in the first decade of her career, she grew and ran e-commerce businesses from startup to scale. For example, she was GM of operations at Lux Group, which was one of the largest Australian online retail groups at the time. But Anna, you've told me you've always been innately a bit of a greenie and driven towards sustainable action. So five years ago, Anna decided to align with her purpose, spent some time studying and working with the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership in the UK. From there, she founded The Purpose Agents, which is essentially a chief sustainability officer in a box, offering for retail and e-commerce businesses. Since then, Anna's been working with clients from startups to stock market listed companies on sustainability strategies to manage risk and unlock new opportunities. You're also a sought-after speaker and commentator on sustainability in retail, and The Purpose Agents have been our partner in developing the Power Retail Sustainability Spotlight, which we'll speak a bit more on today. Welcome, Anna. Thank you for having me. Um, I'd like to begin uh, by acknowledging that I'm joining this podcast from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Aura Nation up in Sydney and acknowledging their continuing connection to land, waters and culture where I live and would like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Thanks, Anna. I'm joining from Melbourne, which is the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Bunurong Boinwurrung people of the Kulin, and I'd like to pay my respect to their elders past and present. So let's kick off. Anna, in the spotlight, we highlight retailers with standout initiatives across many areas of sustainability, from protecting human rights in the supply chain to waste management. Tell us, since you're really sitting at the polls, are those topics also the current focus of your work with clients? And what sustainability topics are keeping retailers up at night or really should be keeping them up at night? Great question. Um, I think one key focus most definitely um, is an acceleration in regulation around sustainability globally. Right? Um, the world is finally catching up with uh, setting the guardrails to reach at least the most crucial and fundamental global sustainability goals, such as keeping global warming below 1.5 degrees versus pre-industrial levels. And goal of that regulation is to give businesses more of a structure and a playbook um, to even out the playing field um, where just some are doing the work and others aren't. Um, there will also be an alignment of global regulation or the application thereof purely as a consequence of, of global trade. Um, for example, um, packaging regulation in Australia, um, a colleague in sustainability um, recently went to a trade show in Europe and um, a Chinese supplier um, uh, proudly told them that they're phasing out styrofoam in their packaging in response to Australian packaging regulation. So imagine that, you know, they, they want to sell into Australia. So that's how the brands are responding. Everything is becoming very intertwined. And, and talking about packaging uh, regulation, actually, um, the 2025 Australian um, packaging targets have been reviewed and will likely be coming back with much more tight rules. So 
mandatory packaging design standards and targets and also penalties for non-compliance around reporting um, and brands improving their packaging in line with the national packaging targets. So packaging is still definitely something, you know, it's an old topic, but it's still something we're looking at with clients at the moment because of that continuous regulatory development. Obviously, packaging is a huge one. Do you have any more examples of those regulatory changes? Are we seeing any other ones that are already affecting Australia and affecting retailers here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just, well, there's regulation. And then with regulation, often, uh, or almost always, there's disclosure, right? But there's disclosures, there's reporting that, that businesses need to, need to, um, submit to show their progress towards meeting these, these, um, regulatory standards. And one of the um, biggest regulatory developments is the launch of the International Sustainability Standards Boards. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Um, ISSB, uh, Sustainability Disclosure Standards, called IFRS S1 and IFRS S2 in June uh, this year. And they're essentially global standards to bring in more rigor around sustainability reporting in alignment with company financial reporting. So. They're effective from um, the 1st of January next year. Um, and in Australia, the Australian Accounting Standards Board has already endorsed that the standards are going to be introduced from June 2024 for public companies. And then afterwards, if they're supporting that there will be a phased appro- uh, rollout of these standards also for private companies. And that's, that's definitely, yeah, that's very big. And that's the hottest buzz in the boardrooms of the companies we're working with because that's putting a lot of reporting and measuring and tracking onus on um, private companies that have so far not had to do any sustainability or climate reporting. So the, the standards are, again, setting guardrails and recommendations on how to assess and report your risks and opportunities in general sustainability, and then most importantly, climate, right? So in climate, there will be a requirement to look at carbon emissions. So for the first time, an actual requirement to report on carbon emissions, particularly those in the supply chain, the so-called scope three carbon emissions, uh, which generally make up over 95% of a retailer's emissions, They come from raw material production, manufacturing, transport, and logistics, but also then the using the products, like the use phase by customers, and then the disposal and end of life emissions. And those emissions are often still ignored. Imagine over 50% of all major fashion retailers around the world aren't disclosing any information about their supply chains at all yet. So there will be more and more pressure coming in on that. So if compliance around these disclosure standards gets fully adopted um, for public and private businesses, this will require quite a bit of work from companies on measuring their emissions to comply. So, yeah, so this is what we're already uh, supporting our clients with at this moment. But um, collecting this data actually um, also requires um, in-depth collaboration with their supply chain partners, right, with their suppliers, with service providers, because that's where that data sits, that supply chain data. It sits in production processes, in logistics processes. So it's about collaborating and accessing this data and then 
working with those supply chain partners to reduce those emissions. So we also described this in an article in the sustainability spotlight, and we also feature some service providers that can help um, access these uh, this critical data um, and help emissions reduction with their service solutions, for example, in logistics and packaging. And then what other topics? So always continuing and pressing matter, of course, the circularity, because there's no net zero or emissions reduction without circularity, right? without um, reducing the need for new resources. And, and our economy is going to shift more and more in a direction where excessive resource consumption is going to be penalized and businesses will need to rethink their role and focus on designing, producing and selling higher quality, um, longer living products for which they can also achieve higher margins rather than trying to just drive pure scale through simply selling more products that consume resources but have limited lifespans. And that really means supply chain optimization, you know, improved efficiency using raw materials to make less product, but product that actually sells. So then having less waste, but also higher margins. Plus, obviously, implementing circular processes, such as repairing, swapping, rental, upcycling, um, you know, very simply said, um, changing your business model towards circularity it's just a matter of long-term survival for your business, you know, in a world of dwindling and scarce resources, there are just physical limits of how much material there is around to make more stuff, you know, especially if you're, you know, large company relying on extractive practices, fossil fuels and cheap labor, there's, there, they will eventually hit a limit. And, um, I guess another concept that's related to circularity um, is extended producer responsibility or stewardship, where we're also seeing regulatory pressures globally and in Australia. Stewardship means that who just for the ones uh, for for the audience who 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 does it um, isn't familiar with the with the term. It means that whoever designs or produces or sells uh, a product takes responsibility for minimizing the product's environmental impact through all of the stages of the product life cycle, including and especially end of life. So you're responsible for making sure that it doesn't go to waste as the producer, as the seller, um, to reduce waste, but also, again, reduce emissions. Scope three, value chain emissions that we just spoke about. Spoke about. So in Australia, the, the Minister um, for the Environment, Tanya Plibersek, has put a couple of industries on watch to manage their waste. So they've been been given, you know, the signal like, you know, manage your own waste, otherwise you're going to be regulated. And um, fashion has been put on watch. So in response to that, they have developed um, a textile stewardship scheme um, called Seamless uh, as a voluntary industry initiative. Um, and that's really great that they proactively took that challenge and an amazing effort by the Australian Fashion Council and the brands who are getting involved. And then... What else? There's still greenwashing, right? You know, ASIC and ACCC pursuing unfounded sustainability claims. So retail, retailers really need to make sure everything they're stating about their sustainability journey is measurable based on facts, you know, big topic. And then the modern slavery regulation has been reviewed, which is, you know, all about workers' rights in the supply chain. And there's been recommendations coming out of that review 
talking about reducing the revenue threshold for companies that need to report from $100 million to $50 million in revenue, which is going to pull many more retailers into that requirement for mandatory reporting. And it will also require more rigor around the format and the content and introduce some penalties for non-compliance, which would be good because there's still (laughs) a lot of um, brands not uh, fully um, complying. Uh, Big topic also in fashion. We work with a number of retailers on those reporting obligations. And then I think looking back to past weekend, and I think that's that's my that's the last one I can think of right now. <laughs> There's still a reconciliation, um, you know. And while the referendum has gone a certain way, uh, this does not mean that integrating reconciliation into your business processes is uh, is 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 less important now, right? So, and how you can look, how you can learn from and drive opportunity um, for indigenous communities through your business. We also have some insights uh, around that um, from uh, some of the highlighted brands uh, in the sustainability spotlight. Such a broad range of everything that's going on in the industry right now. What topics are on the horizon? Can you give us some further insights into the broader global sustainability environment and any trends that are coming up that you're seeing? Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think... um, I think the two most interesting topics here would be the nature positive movement and um, carbon pricing, you know, also a really sexy topic. Um, the, the nature positive movement essentially means that businesses should include nature as a stakeholder in all business decisions. You know, so so far, everything's been about climate. For the past 10 years, everything's about climate, net zero, reducing emissions. But what about nature? We all know about the Paris Agreement, which which is that climate goal. You know, it's the goal of limiting the temperature increase to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. And that requires reducing carbon emissions. But if we decarbonize our entire system, our entire consumption system, energy system, entirely in line with science and have that net reach net zero, have that net zero world economy by 2050, we will still crash through that 1.5 degree ceiling just because of nature. Why? Because we've been eroding nature stocks and carbon sinks and the whole resilience of the biosphere. Because we essentially we can reduce emissions as much as we want if we don't keep the carbon that's already captured in nature where it is, all of our efforts to reduce our industrial emissions just make no sense, right? So so you have, you know, you cut the trees and you release the carbon, you burn fossil fuels, you release, you know, you, you, we talk about that, but you, 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 um, you know, mangrove forests, you know, all of these nature systems that hold a lot of carbon, melting glaciers, um, so we need to really protect nature to make sure we're not setting off mechanisms that we cannot undo. Um, so basically, Paris Agreement cannot cannot be reached without including nature. There's no 1.5 degrees without nature. But again, there's been some positive developments, thankfully. Oh, good. Now it's getting a bit dark. Yeah, well, it's getting a very dark story, right? So we're going to a really dark place, like melting glaciers, like oh, melting ice caps, poor penguins, like definitely. Um, but we have, there is hope. Um, the, the, the so-called Paris Agreement for Nature, which is the Kunming Montreal Biodiversity Framework, which was agreed at 
the COP15, the biodiversity COP, because there's actually two COP conferences. There's the climate COP, UN, United Nations conferences, and there's also biodiversity COP. And that was in Montreal past December. And they, um, the agreement is, is also a pretty big deal. A commitment from over 190 governments, businesses, and civil society to become nature positive which is a big commitment by many stakeholders um, to reduce their impact on the natural world and biodiversity loss to enhance the resilience of our planet. Okay. And then you're like, well, you're like, okay, what does that mean for retailers? Right. So, so for retailers, how can you be nature positive? There's, 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 there's some, you'd, you'd think it's pretty straightforward, right? So you should be reducing your freshwater use through sustainable water management. You should, help restore degraded land and move towards regenerative agricultural practices, transform your business model and build for circularity. We've already talked about that, right? Don't use any new resources as much as you can. Avoid and reduce the use of hazardous chemicals because they're obviously damaging to waterways and arable land. Um, And avoid and reduce the use of high impact or uncertified materials. So those five key points, if you can integrate that into your business plan, that would be great. Nature would be very grateful. Um, and then, yeah, the second topic, um, I think an absolutely crucial topic, in my opinion, carbon pricing. Because we are inevitably moving to a world where there will be a price on carbon. Yeah, full stop. It's going there. It will be in some shape or form. But, you know, Australia was actually at the forefront of carbon pricing and then kind of lost its way. Um, but other examples like the, the EU are starting to introduce carbon pricing. There's, there's a new model. It's called the carbon border adjustment mechanism. Also a bit of a mouthful, but what they're going to do is they're going to charge an import duty on importing carbon heavy products based on the emissions included in the product. So there's a need again to measure and report on the emissions. And obviously products with lower emissions are going to benefit. So if you're making products with coal-fired energy, <clears throat> you're going to have a higher carbon footprint in this product. And so you're going to have a higher duty on on on, uh, on those emissions and other products are going to be preferred. So global businesses, and I think this is the crucial point, um, and increasing, so, so lots of global businesses, big global businesses, and increasingly also the more forward-looking local ones are using an internal price on carbon to set themselves up for this world already, like strategically. What that means is they're introducing a shadow price in their accounting that they, that's being used with in internal business cases, um, that would involve the creation of carbon emissions for their investments or sourcing decisions, right? With their creating a business case. To ensure that the decisions around that reflect all the costs, including those environmental costs because of the emissions. And then in the end, obviously, initiatives and products that are more emissions efficient, with all other factors being equal, obviously, are going to be supported or preferred. That that kind of shadow price is often also included in performance measurement for executives. Um in Australia, one of the big ones, are, uh, like or you know, local players, um, West Farmers, they they have a shadow price on carbon. You can look that up. You know, the carbon price starts at twenty two dollars per ton. 
um, uh, $22 per ton of CO2 equivalent for the short term, and then increases to $98 per ton of CO2 equivalent in the longer term, obviously, because the price is going to rise over time. And we're also already working with retailer clients who are taking this really seriously uh, on implementing such an internal price on carbon to get their business ready for a world where there will be a price on carbon. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a good insight into your work and a really good outlook into what's next. Sounds like a lot of these, the work in the sustainability realm will be driven by that regulatory change in the near future. But maybe, hopefully, we'll hear some case studies from retailers branching out into that more future-looking areas like the nature-positive movement or carbon pricing. And hopefully we hear from that in the next Power Retail sustainability oh, i hope so i'd love to read some of those submissions that would be really interesting yeah thank you so much for your insights anna if our listeners want to talk to you about any of these topics or their company's sustainability journey where can they reach you um i think linkedin is probably easiest you know anna foster f-o-r-s-t-e-r <laughs> or email anna at thepurposeagents.com or via the purposeagents.com website, there's also a contact form. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Enjoyed the conversation.